0: Hi, my name is Elizabeth Agabi. I'm the founder of Full Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. And you're listening to our podcast, How I Made It Happen. This week, we are joined by sisters Nafisa and Selena Bakar, the founders of Amalia a media platform that amplifies the voices of Muslim women to create cultural change. Amalia initially started as a modest fashion brand, but later on took a turn when Nafisa and Selena realised they were not that into fashion and Amalia had a bigger purpose. The turning point for them came when David Cameron said, young Muslim men are vulnerable to radicalisation because of the traditional submissiveness of Muslim women the Muslim community instantly reacted on Twitter and created the hashtag #TraditionallySubmissive, submissive, a hashtag to celebrate the many achievements of Muslim women. Selena and Nafisa felt the responsibility to stand up for their community and amplify the voices of Muslim women to use their exposure to speak out on the issues that affected their community. From this, Amalia the online platform was born, now attracting over 3.2 million visitors a month They have a roster of over 300 writers writing on topics ranging from mental health and moss to dating and current affairs. They also recently acquired Halal Gems, a food festival. They were named by Forbes as one to watch and featured in CNN, Metro, and Wired, also recognised in the Evening Standard Progress 1000 list. In this podcast episode, we discuss mindfulness, using your brand's voice to create change, growing your business and taking it in a new direction. If you like this podcast, please do leave us a rating and do subscribe. Here's Nafisa and Selena Bakar.
1: When we first started Demalia, um I was six months pregnant with my second child and my son is now three and a half. Um, but we've been doing this for a about bit four years. years. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I was pregnant um, Looking for work, actually. Ironically, I was about seven months pregnant. I was going through a separation. Yes, I was going through quite a difficult time. I was kind of reassessing my options, um, thinking about how I'm going to support two kids, um, how I'm going to support myself, where I'm going to take my career. Will I have a career? You know, I'm just about to have a child, and um, I had worked in the third sector for some time. So I'd moved from kind of corporate. I was in like brand licensing doing really odd things like helping design golf caddies for Aston Martin and um, Nintendo t-shirts, like loads of different things, which I really enjoyed. It was really interesting. Um, Tried to absorb a lot of knowledge. Um, And then I kind of got a bit sick of kind of the corporate sector. And I don't know if this happens to everybody, but you get to a point where it's not quite burnout, but... I think a tiredness Mm. where you kind of nothing really inspires you in the workplace. You don't feel driven no matter what the project is. You really lose purpose. You even lose sight of Mm. why you're doing what you're doing. And I stepped out kind of totally of that sector. And I thought, you know what, I've got enough skills um, and knowledge now to kind of apply it to, I guess, charity work that you know you think oh let me go and work in the charity sector and yeah. apply all my change knowledge and, and change the world and I it, did that yeah <laughs> and, you know you get a, a rude awakening I think as well for various reasons but yeah and then I went into the charity sector um, which also coincided with I would say my religious journey so okay. I wasn't quite pra- I wasn't very practicing I wasn't religious and then I kind of like I guess stepped onto another platform and I just I began to understand a lot more about purposeful work the reason why we're sent here um, and just making sure that I lived every day with a degree of um, mindfulness Mm. and feeling fulfilled by the work that I did Um, and I think when you have that awakening whether it's religious spiritual whatever everything has to align in your life and we're at work for a considerable period of a Of your day, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things that I felt like I needed to change. Um, Yeah, and then I stepped into kind of the charity sector, did that for a a little bit, learnt lots of different things. Um, That's so vague, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I learnt. You know, I, I came from a space where there was a lot of resources, there was budget, you know, there was money to a space where actually you have to think about, you know, you can't just print reams of paper. And yeah,
0: you've got to be creative.
1: You have to be really creative. like it, creative. <laughs> which, I, which I enjoyed and I did thrive in. Um, and it was nice to be able to apply some of my learnings to that kind of space. And then I went on um, maternity leave and I started a little project in business, which Nafisa helped me with. And then what did
2: we do after that? And then you were you were still on maternity leave at that time?
1: Oh, I was a stay at home mum. But I would oh, yeah. do lots of different things. I had this like little side hustle, um, lots of community events. Like by nature I'm just quite a busy person. Mm-hmm. I like to be productive. Um, we all have time. Like it it's a, a resource we all have, right? And I believe that we need to use it efficiently and productively. Um so I just always wanted to fill my time being a mother and doing all the things i could to benefit kind of the society and community that i live in mm. um and then yeah whilst i've kind of looking for jobs whilst i was pregnant with my second child i was like no one's gonna hire me i look super pregnant they know that i'm gonna leave in like three months i'm like you know what i'll just do cleaning jobs i'll do like whatever i'll sign up to an agency i just need to do something to kind of bring the money in and it was too late obviously to kind of join somewhere full time Mm -hmm. you know we live in a society where no one's going to recruit a woman that who's seven months pregnant and me and Afisa had kind of started the idea with regards to Amalia which was then a modest fashion platform and I was like let me help you I know a little bit about like brand licensing and I'll do your admin and all of that stuff and we literally just sat at my mum's kitchen table like Starting the admin page, like start the Instagram page. Doing little strategy
2: meeting. Yeah, I was like, no,
1: don't do that. Let's do it this way, and we just bounce ideas, yeah. and that was kind of where we were at emotionally. I think it, I was in a really difficult place. Yeah, but I just felt like God would bring me through it. Yeah, essentially.
0: And just before we go over to Nafisa, I Mm. wanted to touch on when you mentioned that um, you felt like you wanted to be a bit more mindful as to how you're spending your time. Mm. And I think quite a lot of people want to feel like that, whether they're religious or not. They Mm. just want to feel that they're, you know, doing purposeful work. They're not just waking up in the morning and going through some routine. They want to feel like they're creating some sort of change when you're in that position at work, You can't leave because you need to make money. You've got to pay your rent.
1: Mm.
0: What advice would you give to that person?
1: I think sometimes we see mindful as something quite grand, you know, or Mm. we have to. And I I started viewing it as something quite grand, you know, working in the charity sector. I thought, I must build a well. I must build (laughs) a well somewhere to benefit, you know, a whole village. And we have quite a skewed opinion of what mindfulness is. Mm. And I think it's about bringing back to the smaller moments, like making sure that you get up and there's gratitude You know, the fact that it's another Mm -hmm. day for you to start again. And I I see every day is like, you know what, it's another moment, another opportunity for me to start again. And to be mindful about like, you know, spending that 45 minutes I have with my children before I start work. Is that time purposeful? If it were the last time I would see them, sorry to take it so deep, but, you know, everything is deep, you know. Um, Is this time that I'm going to be... appreciative of and will I look back and be pleased with how I spent those moments whether it's making my breakfast that's healthy for me Mm. you know I'm not going to just rush in and grab something if I can't if I don't have that time then I'll come to work and then I'll have a more mindful breakfast so I think sometimes we have really grand notions of what mindfulness is and how to live our purpose in the world but I think sometimes even those small acts Mm. can be super powerful in your day.
2: I'll, just to add on to that, I also think there's often a sense of uh, being purposeful is all or nothing. Either you're in a purposeful job, living your best life, doing mm-hmm. exactly what you want to do, or you're absolutely on the other end of the spectrum. And I think it takes time to get to that place where you're like, actually, most of my time is being filled with stuff that I want to do and stuff that is purposeful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've all got bills to pay, we've all got to, you know, make it happen. And I think sometimes it's just about thinking, okay, in the next 12 months, How do I move just even one degree closer to what purposeful looks like to me? And that might be at work if there's the capacity for that saying, can I work on Project X? And it might not be because Project X is purposeful. It might just be there's skills there to learn that you think you can then use in the future. Or it might even be, what is that one thing I can do once a month on a Saturday morning that helps me feel that sense of me being purposeful? So I think it's just starting somewhere really small and just building on that.
0: Yes, and Ifisa, do you want to talk about what you were doing before Mali came about?
2: Yeah, so um, I was at university. um, So I was studying natural sciences at UCL. And I very much went into university. Well, when I was applying to university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And I'd always been like that. You know, when people are like, oh, I knew when I was 10, I wanted to be this. And then when I was 14, I never really had those clear ideas. Um and okay, so our parents knew what you should do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doctor or engineer. Um and so when I was applying to uni, I was like, Right, I'm gonna apply to uni, I'm going to come out the other end, I'm gonna become an investment banker, I'm gonna make loads of money, and then somewhere down far in the future I'll figure out what it is that I really wanna do and all that purpose stuff. Yeah. Um and then what ended up happening is I had applied to UCL as my first choice and on results day, I was one mark away from an A for one of my courses. And I was really happy to go to my second choice, it was Birmingham, I was like, oh my God, gonna live away from home, have the best time of my life. And then my interviewer actually reached out to me and said, hey, I saw you missed your grade, I can't offer you a place this year, but I can next year and there'll be no retakes, so you basically just have a gap year if you want it. And I was like, okay, fine, cool, (laughs) let's do that. Um, And then I like, did some work experiences some internships over that year and i was working in like the science space my degree is natural sciences and i realized in that moment that actually i'm not motivated by money in that way like i it has to be a byproduct of something rather than the main aim mm. and then also secondly i realized that actually like i was in office spaces and i was like mm, i don't know if this is what i want to do but so it sort of started getting me on a trail of what else is out there and then when I was at university I got involved in a lot of societies um in particular in a social enterprise society where you basically set up businesses to solve real world problems so that was my first sort of touch into oh business is a thing you can create change in these different ways and it can look sustainable and financial and blah 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 and then it was in my third year that I thought of amalia and again it coincided with my own faith journey of coming to a place where i was starting to practice coming to a place where i was starting to question what was the role of religion in my life um and with that came a lot of changes of how i dressed and i realized actually it was really difficult for muslim women to find clothes that were modest were fashionable this was before modest fashion was like a big thing as it is now yeah um And so I just started thinking of the idea, but I still thought, obviously, that's not what I'm going to do after my degree. Um, And then I ended up working... I knew I didn't want to go into, like, a grad scheme. And part of that was i just would read about the, them and i was just like i don't really understand what they are firstly <laughs> i don't really understand like everyone was like yeah apply to audit apply to strategy consultancy apply to the Bains, the pwc's like, what does this
0: all mean yeah and like, yeah, I d- that was like the typical route then yeah.
2: yeah and i i personally didn't really get it i was like i don't understand what these jobs are and i don't but think everyone's yeah. to run so everyone just runs in the yeah, same yeah board, i don't
0: actually. think anyone really did i Remember sitting down and googling what consultants do, yeah, and I still didn't understand. But I was like, I need to get into Accenture. Yeah. I need to, yeah, like, they- it was literally do or die affair. Yes. I literally actually moved countries wow. to try and get into Accenture. yeah, there you go. But then I got into Unilever instead. But um, I was that desperate because it was such a thing yeah. become a consultant, everyone was doing it. I don't know what the drive was, and
1: yeah. there wasn't a the third person yeah. that was the route. Like, I don't think we yeah. were open to what. what
2: if. what What else you don't have like what about an SME what about you know there was none of that Um, and then yeah I was just kind of like I don't think this is what I want to do at this moment in time I hadn't written it off Um, And then I was just, I came across a job at UCL, which was working for the enterprise department. And the whole department was about nurturing entrepreneurship on campus, helping university students start on their ideas, or even if they didn't want to start an idea, helping them gain skills to then go into the workplace, because Mm. we all know that there's so much you learn Mm. um, from working on ideas. So I applied to that and I I honestly it was one of those things I was like I don't think I'll get it but I'll apply to it and then I applied to it and then that was I got that offer I think in January and I was graduating in June and it would start in September and I was like okay cool that's what I'm going to do. And I still had a Mali in my head and part of the job description was you had to have an idea and you part of the job was we'll give you support in helping you make that idea happen and I was like, Okay, cool, wicked, like this is a dream thing. Um and so I was like spending this time like talking about my idea and then I was thinking, Okay, I need to like get a website up. Um but I was like talking to developers, is really expensive. I was also really inexperienced. And then I thought, okay, cool, I'm gonna have to build this myself. Um, and so that summer between when I graduated and started my job at UCL, I learned to code with founders and coders, um, which is an incredible Coding Boots Boot Camp is a sixteen week programme, it's free and the whole ethos is it shouldn't cost you fifty K to become a junior developer like it mm-hmm. does at university. Um so I did that and I thought that would give me like loads of confidence, but actually it like really broke down my confidence because it was really hard. There was like four women out of sixteen people. It was like a really difficult journey, but I was able to build. Um but generally my con the what it was is I was thinking of this idea for so long and not working on it. And so that for me was like, I'm thinking about it more than I'm working on it. And my confidence was just like going lower and lower and lower. Um, and then I just came to a point um, where I was coming to the end of that year at UCL and I'd done a, I hadn't really done that much on the idea as Amalia. And I was sort of in a place where I don't actually think it's going to happen. And then there was this movie moment that I was described as a movie (laughs) moment. Um, And what it was, so part of work, I had asked, there was this conference happening in Spain, and it was all about ideas and blah, blah, blah. And I said to my manager, and I said, I said, look, there's this conference happening in Spain, I really want to go, would you be able to pay for, as like part of my training and development? And then he said yes, and because it was part of a university, it was also a way for me to gain insight of how entrepreneurship is happening in somewhere like Spain and bring it back to the UK. And I went to this thing and then part of the university, um, they had like this big brown piece of paper. It was like probably like six foot five in height. And at the top it just said, what do you love about this university? And everyone had, like, written and said, oh, I love it because I love the community, I love the people, I love this, I love that. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it'd be really nice to have that at UCL because, obviously, my job. And um, and then I came back to the hotel room and I was like, oh, it'd be really nice. I'd be like... And then I was thinking about it, like, "How? OK, how would I actually make that happen? And I was like... Um, Okay, so where would I stick it? How would I stick it? Do I need to like leave a pot of pens there? Because what if people don't have a pen to write? And then, you know, what what happens if it gets filled up? And I was like, had all these like really micro questions. Something literally switched in me and I just literally looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I, out loud, I said, Nafisa, you cannot be serious. Like, you cannot think that your confidence is this low that you you think you're not capable of taking a brown piece of paper, sticking it up on a wall, and getting people to write on it. And something just switched in me when I where I was just like, you've just got to start. You've just got to start small. You've just got to make it happen. Mm. And what I did in that moment is I started speaking as if I'd won an award for what was called the Brown Paper Project. And I was speaking because it had gone to like 25 different countries and it done really well and it was acclaimed and blah, blah, blah. And I like was almost like speaking this thing out and I started writing this speech and it was like, OK, of, of course it's going to happen. And something on that day switched in me and I came home and I was like, right, we're doing a Mali, it's going to happen.
0: Mm. Wow. <laughs> that was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I was. <laughs> oh, amazing. So... You know, Amalia's gained a lot of attraction. You now have 3.2 million visitors per month. Um, You've got a really well-to-do Instagram, a lot of engagement, loads of awards, loads of speaking engagements. Um, So what were the practical steps that you took to make Amalia happen? I know you first started an Instagram page. Mm -hmm. And then how did it go from there?
1: A lot of research. I think firstly you start with like research and there's a lot of like you know at the time there were a lot of like newspaper articles emerging, a lot of media and hysteria I would say around kind of modest fashion Mm. Um, and then I think it was quite early on we realised the value of actually speaking to people in the community. Mm. You can sit with an idea and think that it needs to be channeled in a certain way, platformed in a certain way but actually the, the people that you need to ask are the people you're about to serve this product or service too. So we were literally DM people um, under aliases because we were too shy to come out and say it was Nafisa and Selena behind this platform. And were there people that you knew? Yeah, a range. Like whoever was... If, so, if there was a new user mm. or, you know, on Instagram, like, hi. hey, thanks, hi, I'm... whatever my And it name wasn't was. a bot, it was us. It was us. <laughs> but we, it, we probably interacted like yeah. bots. I didn't even know what a bot was then. Um, and we'd literally just, I guess, do user... Yeah, user testing. We didn't know that at the time. It's only when you look back in hindsight, you're able to put like, oh, we did A-B testing. We did user (laughs) testing. We, you know, did lots of research about the community and we asked people about the struggles they had around modest fashion, the brands that they were kind of investing in, what they wanted to see. And it was almost to validate that a product like this or a service Mm -hmm. needed to exist. And that kind of gave us the confidence to be like, no, we're, we're kind of on the money. The idea, I, it needs to exist. And I think that,
2: like the validation of people saying we have this struggle paired with there were loads of numbers coming out and loads of research saying modest fashion is worth 300 something billion and the two uh, it was timing as well because mm. I think without those numbers and without that market research to validate that there's a market here I think it would be a lot more difficult to also um, explain why we exist and explain why there's a need beyond So you just, had
0: the research to back yeah. up what you were starting
2: Yeah mm. Okay. Um, so the next for us in terms of practical steps as well we were kind of in a space where we weren't from the industry. We didn't really have networks. We didn't really have contacts, capital, mm. all of those sorts of things. Um, and so I got a place on British Council scholarship program, which is called Digital India, okay. where you basically go to India to look at their startup scene, to get learnings, to see how you can sort of implement them. And again, like I was still like teetering on the idea. I'd, by this time, I was like working on trying to mm. work on Amalia. And I'd gone round to India for like 12 days and there were like pitch days at like the tech hub in India and we'd be like talking about our idea and stuff like that. And I came and I visited accelerators there as well. And I came back and I was like, we need to get on an accelerator. Mm. Like that's the thing that is going to plug all these gaps of knowledge, network, Mm. just basic like understanding what, how do you build a product? What is marketing? You know, like really basic things that everyone takes for granted.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And so we ended up applying to Ignite. Well, actually we didn't apply. What happened was Paul Smith, who was the MD of Ignite, which is an accelerator he kind of I was part of a Facebook group called London Startups and um, that
0: Facebook group still exists yeah, (laughs) yeah
2: it does it does um And he had posted in there saying, hey, our applications are going to close in like a month or something. I think it was November at the time and their cohort was going to start in January. Mm. And he said, we haven't had many women apply. And he said, I'm not saying because you're a woman, you're going to get a position. But he said, if you're interested in talking to me about how we can get more women to apply, or if you're a female founder and you want to apply, please let me know. Because he was like, we need at least a pipeline to be able to have Mm. some more gender diversity and it was apparent when we started yeah yeah. (laughs) I was the only female CEO we were the only women of colour yeah on the programme um and no one understood what we were doing remember she was pregnant as well so it's like everything and every tick box was happening I think everyone definitely looked at us like seriously yeah like (laughs) what are you doing um and so I emailed him and I said and I emailed him like this I remember it was like quite a long email um all the disclaimers yeah and I was like um, I'd love to talk to you about how to get more women in blah 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 Um, here's my idea this is what I'm working on and I like gave him like a good because I felt like it couldn't you know everyone says oh you should have that one liner and that elevator pitch I felt like he needed to read a paragraph to understand yeah because you know it's such a different Sector to anything he's probably seen, also to it's in the Muslim space, it's for a Muslim Mm. audience, and blah, blah blah. So I like gave him all these things of like why we're doing it, where we're at, and blah blah. And he said, Look, come to our office hours. And I went to his office hours, it was in Ozone in Old Street. And um, he was talking to me and I had this deck and my tangible tip, like, know how to create decks, like, Mm. and always have a deck in your back pocket. Mm. Even to this day, like, I go to meetings. And the reason I do is because I remember I was in a meeting and someone said, oh, is there anything you want to show me? And I'm like, um, amalia.com, here's the website. (laughs) Obviously, they've probably seen the website, right? And so my tangible tip of like, no matter where you are in your journey, don't spend too long on it, but just have something to bring out to people. Mm. Um, And so I showed him this thing and it had like our plans and what we're doing and where we're at. And then he's like, okay, so how can I help you? And I said, "Um, I wouldn't know what we need to do to be ready to apply to get on an accelerator. And he was like, you're ready. He was like, I'll fast track you to the interview stage. And then, oh, wow. yeah, and I was like, um, okay. And then I went to the interview, didn't take Selena because she was pregnant. And I remember they were like, how come your co-founder's not here? And I, th- I think I gave like a really weird answer. I was like, I wanted to represent myself or something like that. It was just really bizarre. Um <laughs> Because obviously I I didn't want them to have any sort of bias beyond what they were already going to have. And then they called me, I think, the next week and then he i think rem- i remember it was martin that called me and he was like that's the easiest yes we've ever said and i was like i'm um, just just one little thing um we've totally got it sorted and it, it's going to be fine um but my co-founder is seven months pregnant and by the time we start the program she's going to be eight and she's going to have to leave halfway through the program but oh, it's to- because they had a really big emphasis of like you need to be there full time for the yeah. program for the program and obviously at this point he's made an offer he can't really pull it out and he's like okay um yeah, that's and fine. I just I just no, we, I read the contract. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, there's a clause in here yeah. that says I need to be here every single day. Yeah, and that's what we were like. Okay, they can't get any wind of the fact that she's not going to be there. Yeah, and they're like, okay, cool. That he was like, I mean, that's the first for us. <laughs> and yeah. we went on to the accelerator in January 2016, and it was like unreal. We were just like in front of mentors every week. We mm. were learning so much. Workshops, learning from other founders, and unlearning a lot. Yeah, unlearning a lot as well and I think that that process for us also taught us like what sort of business we want to build, how and also a lot about trusting our own gut and our own intuition because mm. there are so many people that will give you advice, especially when you're starting out, you're looking for it as well. Yeah. Um so I think if anything it gave us a lot of confidence in like actually most of the people giving us advice on this haven't really been in this space or built mm. anything similar, so
0: yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah, and I
1: would say so two did things. you did you end up joining the accelerator yeah yeah. So, okay. we, yeah I ended up joining I just remember her calling me and said so we got on um, you need to be there every day and this is kind of this is the program this I'm like what's the accelerator like I had no clue of what it was. And she's like, um, it's like university for startups. I'm like, OK, cool, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I think at that point, like you have to be a little bit fearless, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to be in front of us. We don't know if it's going to benefit us. Um, we don't know how amazing the program is going to be. But And I think that's something that we have now. You just mm-hmm. have to have a fearlessness and just kind of trust that you will be you know it will carry you through i just remember like one weekend i came back i came back and we sat at a desk and <laughs> you, you know what i'm gonna say and we were going to like loads of different workshops different people are in there like giving you a marketing workshop telling you about the legal side of your business um telling you how to grow a community loads of different people would kind of drip in and like i i would say bombard you with knowledge yeah. And I just remember coming back to my desk one day and I just looked at everyone in the room. Half of them are developers. Half of them know about tech. I had no clue about tech like i'm digital but i really you know she would hard code stuff onto the site and like this looks terrible can you change it and then her side eye would be like i can't just change it
2: like this <laughs> and
1: i was like what is an
2: api because
1: everyone's talking about
2: apis oh, yeah. and api this and everyone's building an api for something and blah 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 she's just like what's an api i don't get it
1: <laughs> but i think that point i allowed myself one to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and i think often we step into places um, thinking we need to know everything, yeah. and that was, I think, when my learning actually began. You know, mm. I was trying to like put up a fan. You want to like walk into rooms and pretend like you, you know everything. And I think the biggest learning for me from that was, I I always say, oh, I don't know, yeah. I don't understand. You're doing Can you explain that to, to, to me? Mm. Yeah, yeah and you're walking out of meetings not with the you don't understand the full picture. Someone's just used a term, and you're just blindsided for like a good five minutes. So. Yeah, I definitely learned to just be like, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you just explain that a little bit more to
0: me? And that's a great attitude to have when you're starting a business because you really don't know it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a really good advantage is getting onto an accelerator. I don't think a lot of people know how beneficial they are. Mm.
2: Um, But I also think there are a lot of rubbish ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. (laughs) Look at the track record of accelerators. um, See who's on it, who's running it cuz um, even some of the ones that have big names yeah they even those, like even if you look at what has happened to the companies after the accelerator, mm. within two months a lot of them don't exist mm. and so it's really important to also look at follow on what happened to those companies not just like what are the big speakers they're bringing in what are the workshops and things like that Yeah, and I think you learn from the accelerator actually you
1: might not need a programme like that but you need, might need aspect of it mm. it might be that you need to check in with a mentor every few weeks for your business that is from the sector or you need to go to a specific workshop for a period of time to hone in a you know a area, a skill, yeah um, yeah, so lots of learnings from that
0: so when you finished the accelerator, you got some investment, mm-hmm. and then I assume you went on to build Amalia, which then was a modest fashion site, mm-hmm. and then you had this situation, I believe, on Twitter, which <laughs> mm-hmm. caused you to change direction of your business, so could you just talk about that?
2: yeah, so when we were for, so the background is neither Celine nor me were, like, vested into fashion. We weren't... For us, the driving factor was there's a problem here and we want to solve it. And we think that... There was also a lot around, actually, Muslim women... As a very politicized identity and what it means to be a covered woman and all those sort of things that i don't think we articulated to ourselves then but mm. we when we talk about purpose we felt this sense of purpose so on the front of it it was we're building this fashion thing but behind it was like a lot more in terms of the purpose and the reason why um and so what happened was david cameron made a comment about how Um, Muslim men are radicalised because Muslim women are traditionally submissive And what happened was on Twitter, the hashtag traditionally submissive started trending. Mm. And it was basically Muslim women holding up cards and papers saying, like, seven PhDs, speak five languages, hashtag traditionally submissive. And basically, like, turning it on its head and saying, actually, this is who Muslim women are. Mm. And I remember me and Selena were like, oh, should should we get involved in the hashtag? Should we not? Should we? we? At this point, we weren't really on social. We weren't, like, now you'll like, see me on social and saying all sorts. but at that point we weren't on social and then even then we were like okay we'll do it but we won't our faces so like there's a picture of me and Selena holding our own ones like with our faces covered and I think it was that moment of we were like yeah we're a fashion platform but we, if we're saying that we're here f- to reach Muslim women and to cater to Muslim women. Mm. We also can't ignore all the lived realities of what it means to be a Muslim woman. Mm. And it was really early on and you know, like you're always told, you know, as brands you don't get involved in like all these different moments. Now it's changed and don't have a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I think now that's changed a lot yeah, in the definitely. last three years where like, it's almost like you cannot be neutral almost mm. and you have to have a voice as a brand. Mm. Um, but also then early on, like you're only like three months in and we're like, okay, we're gonna speak out and um, so we ended up doing that and I think that started us on sort of a trail of like actually we're getting this coverage, we're we're in the Guardian we're in WIDE, we're in all these big publications we have to use this platform for something more Mm -hmm. and then that more first started as a blog on Amalia so the fashion was there and then we had a blog where it was just like Muslim women writing stuff about everything and anything and then that started getting a lot of traction and we were like actually what if we flip this, what if we make this more into media, into our articles, what is now podcasts, videos, events and what you see today, what if we put more time into amplifying the voices of Muslim women and so we rebuilt the site we changed how we were doing everything we relaunched it so we openly like wrote a whole open letter about why we relaunched why we changed where we were going what our ambition was um and it just felt a lot more true to who me and selena were and why we were trying to do what we do and actually when i think in hindsight like i find it very surreal that we started a fashion company <laughs> and i find it very surreal. i mean i remember
1: you know every week we would Sorry, every week we would um, speak to like 10 different mentors, investors, angel investors, what have you. And every single week we'd be like, you know, we don't really like fashion, but and that's how we would start our pitch. And we'd rock up in tracksuit bottoms and like hoodies representing like this fashion company. Um, But it was definitely a start. And I think it's important at that, you know, especially when you're in the startup scene, to have an open mind about where your idea will go. It could manifest in a range of different ways. And mm. I think that's essentially what happened with us. Um, we wanted to make it easier for the Muslim woman to exist. And part of that was, you know, you're going to interview, you don't want to have to overthink what you ha- You need to wear. Mm. We wanted to make that process easier. So actually what you're focusing on is what you're about to say in the interview. And yeah, we manifested in Amalia 3.0. Yeah,
0: mm. amazing. Um, and. During the time that you made that transition, did you ever have any sense of awkwardness or feeling that oh, we don't know what we're doing? People are going to feel like yeah. we're a bit of a failure, or did you confidently make the transition and say this is the direction that we need to go in, and that's it? We're doing it.
2: I think it was, it was almost like we can't not. Like mm-hmm. the, we were spending, we were put when we looked at where were we putting resources, how were we spending our time. It was on that side of things. And I think for us, it was just like, actually, this is where we need to sort of go with it.
1: Yeah, and I think when, you know, when you first build a business, you need to give yourself a little bit of time. Mm. And I think at the beginning of the journey, you kind of need to commit to, I'm going to do this. And then you question yourself in a year. You know, you look back at the data, you look at the traction, you're like, is this really working? And have a real reality check-in with yourself. Um, So I think, yeah, once we were on that kind of runway, we just... You kind of just have to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. um, and we'd been equipped with all the tools on kind of how to move forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: so you've now got three hundred writers contributors globally. How did you go about in getting your first set of writers?
1: Um, they came to us. Um,
2: cool. Yeah, we I mean, had. I, a lot I of, mean, I, f- I think our first was set of mean? writers was was me and Selena and then basically people we knew. Like, if yeah. someone was talking to us about something, we'd be like, do you know what? You're would a skincare you write... expert. Yeah, would you write about that? Yeah. yeah. Like, even Sarah, like one of Selena's best friends, Sarah, early on, she was writing so much content. Mm. And again, for her, like, it was, wow, there's a new platform for me to share all these stories, like all these other bloggers are, right? Mm. Um, but there's a platform for me and for somewhere where my faith and my, like, holistic identity could be seen. Yeah, so I
1: would say for in terms of, like, how we... I wouldn't say grew the community but we noticed people in the community had something to say about different mm. things whether it be about religion, politics beauty, um, fashion and we kind of just invited people mm. to kind of contribute and it's, it still similarly works that way as well and I think one thing I definitely learnt like turn to your media com- uh, community you know you have friends and family who are able to write or who have talents and that was kind of and then then there was a knock on effect. You had like someone like Sarah who would share a content piece through her platforms and then you'd have people in her circle who'd be like, Oh, I really wanna write and be mm. featured on a platform that represents Muslim women. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was because we had started it and nothing like this was had existed. People were excited and we had a lot of people kind of starting to pitch and like just send us content like I would open the inbox and be literally like oh, okay we're right we've got three pieces we need to publish them <laughs> yeah. um, and that's kind of how it started and I guess it's but
0: validation of what you're yeah. building as well
1: exactly and in terms of like maintaining that community I think that's the important part is a lot of it's still quite similar you know some of the articles that we have create conversations um and you may come on to amali as a muslim woman and totally disagree with like the two pieces that you read but then you have a counter argument or another opinion and we often invite people to come and then write what their counter is yeah um so yeah but early on it was like me and nafisa writing a lot of the content yeah. and i think yeah. with your business early on kind of looking back it's almost you manufacture the vibe that you want so Mm. we started writing the content from beauty soul to politics a lot of curation you know till this day like essentially i'm an editor of amalia yeah Yeah, a lot of twitter um curation like i'm the editor so every single day i look at the articles the brief the pictures push them out but we still don't call people started calling us journalists (laughs) and i'm like no no i'm not a journalist i just just facilitate facilitate. yeah
0: Yeah. we just facilitate word yeah and the So another part of your business is the Insights Agency. Mm. How did that come about and what does that do?
2: So, Insights Agency, uh, where it is now, is we basically work with brands, we work with advertising agencies, we work with companies who either want to understand our audience and our communities or they want to reach them. So, it might be that they're developing a campaign, it might be they're developing a product, it might be that they're trying to just understand the opportunities in reaching this audience. Um, so, we work with a range of different brands and agencies um and it it kind of again came about very much as a uh like I mean it was an accident. Yeah, it was an accident. So basically I had done an interview with Michael for his blog People of Color in Tech. Okay. And um he DM'd me on Twitter and he was like, "Hey Nafisa, this guy called Damien wants to speak to you. He's a VP at eBay." I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I I, like, I didn't really know what to expect and I didn't really Think anything of it? I think we thought it was a hoax. Yeah, yeah, and then this guy Jamin gets in touch, and he was like, "Can I get on the phone to you?" And I'm like, "Okay, cool." Didn't realise he was based in, in California. And then he, I'm on the phone to him, and he's like, "Hey, I've been following your work for for a while, and I've just been thinking, trying to find out the right time to engage with you." And he said, we're doing this away day in California. It's going to be 800 of our senior leadership team from all around the world. The CEO is going to be there. I've seen the work that you've been doing. We'd love to have you come over to talk to us about how eBay can enter the modest fashion space how Mm. ebay can talk to muslim audiences better and how you're doing at the moment and i was just like um in that moment i was like he's got the wrong person like (laughs) what is going on and he's like so in two weeks are you free for me to fly you out to california and then you can just like come over and we'll like sort out your travel hotel everything we'll pay you for your time and everything like that and i was just like um yeah like (laughs) i think i'm free um and so that was one of those things I went over, did that. And I just thought I was just one of those random things that happen. But then more and more brands were coming to our door and saying, hey, we've developed this campaign. We'd really love to understand how we can reach your audience. And at this
0: point, were there ever like some point in time where they were saying, we'll pay you X, Y, Z amount of money for your time?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, it was all paid work. OK. And um I at this point I didn't know what an agency was, I didn't know what a strategist was, I didn't mm. know what a planner was. I didn't know like that this world even existed. I didn't even know that you could get paid for insight. I didn't mm. even we didn't even know that was like a thing. And I think mm. we didn't value it. Yeah. Because sometimes you, you have the knowledge and you think, Well, of course I
1: know this, how could no one else know because it's
2: your you' because you haven't like done a degree in it right yeah like you don't feel like you can validate it as like mm. this is worth something do you think our validation came at the dove meeting yeah, yeah. I remember we were sitting in a meeting um, with some strategists at Dove. Mm. and they were talking to us about these campaigns they were doing and they were talking about um, a campaign that was launching in Dubai mm. And they were talking to us about it, and I actually can't remember okay. what we said. But we said something which basically was like, "That needs to change. It needs to be like this, this." But it
1: was a really casual conversation. Yeah, about really a hijab casual, and
2: and they just like started writing in their notebooks, and then they were like, and then one of them I think there turned- was a moment of panic in the room. Yeah, like, they like, we oh, saw what? the panic, and then one of them turned to the other one and said, "Is there still time to change that?" and then me and Selena were just like what have we just We've said just saved them and life. we haven't charged for that mm. you know and I think we had this moment where a lot of times we were in meetings with people and we'd say stuff and they're just like frantically writing away they're like you know they've got you're you're saying like what you think is quite basic knowledge mm. and like just you know, knowledge that you just have and they're like writing away and then we were like actually there's a service in and then that's when I started speaking to more agencies, I started just learning okay what is this industry what's a PR agency versus an advertising agency, what's a media Agency, like, what are all these different parts of this jigsaw, and where do we sort of fit in? Mm. So it was huge, huge learning curve. And then, like, distilling, okay, what are our services? So, what does consultancy look like? What does insights look like? What are focus groups? What are how do you then work with us to reach our audience? That's Mm. a separate thing of reaching through our editorial channels. Mm. um How you know what does what does sense checking ad mean? What time goes into that? All these sorts of things. So yeah that's sort of how that came about
0: and does this bring in the bulk of the um, profit for Malia, or is it more of the digital platform
2: so it, it's a bit of both so we work with clients either behind the scenes of like doing consultancy and then sometimes we also do brand partnerships where it's like how do we work with the brand mm. where we align on values to bring value to our audience and our community mm. and so for me the ideal sweet spot is we're doing some work on creating cultural change within how companies and Agencies are talking and reaching Muslim women, and then some of our work is actually reaching them through us and through the ideas that we have of like editorial and events and podcasts and things like that.
0: When you have a situation that a brand wants to partner with you, but their values don't exactly align, but they're paying you a good amount of money, which is good for the platform. <laughs> what do you do?
2: No, honey. <laughs> I think so. One of my I remember one of my friends said, <clears throat> "I need to agree with you on." I think she said. 60 or 80 Mm percent to work with you Mm. and I think that's like you're never gonna align 100 percent well you might but there's a lot of brands out there and there's it's quite difficult but there have been we
1: had this conversation literally last week there's a brand where um, she was talking about the client and I was just making a face and she's like I know I know there's things that you know that some of the activity I don't necessarily agree with but then it's not a hundred percent. But there are aspects of their work that actually is are, is really important. You know, they're highlighting. Women, um, They're doing a lot for diverse
2: communities. And I also think it's important of who in the company you're speaking to. And in Mm. this case, she's been championing and almost been like the thorn in the company to like try and push through a diverse agenda, so to speak. Um, But we have said no to companies, but we've said it in a way where it's just like this is just not for us. I think you still need to maintain relationships because you never know and the person you speak to might then go on to another company right that might align a lot better um but there have been times where i'm just like actually this isn't worth it for us in the sense that we lose face to our community as well because yeah. mm. we've you've trade you're trading values right you're trading values for a, a amount of money and in I
1: think the long term,
2: one brief where we had got
1: not far into the conversation, but yeah. there was a couple of emails back and forth. It was kind of getting stage where we were going to go in and pitch and we were going to help with the whole kind of brief and the delivery. And something just didn't sit right with us. And I'm like, I, I don't think we should embark on this relationship. Mm-hmm. So don't be scared to say no, even if you feel like it's too late. Yeah, if you, yeah. It's your, your business. your gut, gut feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's your business. And I just felt like if we embarked on that relationship, our community would be like, who are you for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really important. So
0: talking about collaborations, you also recently um, acquired Halal Gems, mm. right? Um, could you talk to us about how that happened, how long the process took, what you had to do, yeah. and how it, Amalia has evolved with Halal Gems and now you're running two businesses?
2: Mm. So Halal Gems, um, the founder Zora, we, she was actually one of the first people we were introduced to when we were on the Accelerator by one of the mentors. Um and he was like, Look, she's a Muslim woman, she does this sort of stuff, why don't you talk to her? And I remember sitting in my mum's bedroom on the phone town Louds we we're going, Sora, we are trying to do this thing, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and there's just like a really instant values fit. Mm-hmm. And we'd always like informally work together where it was sharing content or whatever it was. Um and then for one of the food festivals we basically helped to sell some of the tickets um okay. through our channels because obviously complimentary. And um, I just had this thing of like I was like, Do you know what I would love to work with Zora mm. but it also felt it felt like oh in another life sort of thing and then the more I thought of it I was just like Do you know what halal gems feels like it fits under the Malia umbrella and you know it's about things to do places to eat how do you create rich experiences for muslims right Mm -hmm. um more centered around muslim experiences and it was one of those things where we were talking about it for a while and she was trying to find a buyer and she was talking to quite a few people and then she said you know what I just feel like actually i trust amalia to uphold the values of what i've built because she's built she spent a lot of time building a, a brand of integrity mm. how long has it been around six for? seven years oh, that's um, a while. yeah <laughs> and um so for her it was like wherever it goes i need to trust that the brand is going to stay intact. And she'd also thought of, okay, what if I sell the tech here and what if I sell this other part here? And then we had a conversation and then from that point, I think that conversation was in August, and then we started the legal paperwork in late maybe about September mm-hmm. and then by January we were all signed off and in February we announced it and then in April we did the food festival which was under Amalia. And for how was
0: it running that food festival? Crazy, Horrendous.
2: crazy. It was <laughs> 90,000 people, three days, 30 how vendors. how big was your team? Three of us. Madness. Yeah. I mean, we, on the, I, on the, I don't think we even came into the office. I'd just get yeah. up in the morning, sit on my laptop just and you need times like that. Where actually you're just you're focused just like and- in the zone and on, but in terms of the live event team there was like 30 people the the Mali community came came in strong even on the day we had like um poetry and storytelling and I just saw this um woman Salwa who's like part of the Mali community and I was like Salwa I need someone to introduce the next act can you do that and I just gave her the mic and she's like okay she's like hi everyone welcome to the food (laughs) festival and it was just it was a real show of like what community can do and what we can do when we come together um it dinner
1: parties we'd done <laughs> and you know when you invite the whole family and everyone's like oh what can i do how can i yeah. help but this was like our community like wherever we turned it was someone from the mali community um, and overwhelmingly, there were a lot of women at this food yeah. festival. And mm. generally, food festivals are known for just being like kind of the bros club. Um, <laughs> but it was an incredible experience. And I'm glad we did it because it put us back into a place of fear mm. where we didn't know what we were doing. We you know, we had to be electricians. We needed to understand how to order ice that would last us for like yeah, hours crazy. on end. So it was, I can't it was begin great to imagine it. It's, I, still, again, I mean, we crashed after very that. Very surreal. I'm, like, I'm not looking at email. I'm going to go on holiday. Yeah. We're mm. done.
0: So now you're running two businesses, yeah. and you're planning for the next food festival. Yeah.
2: I thought you said the next business. I, say, I mean, we're always thinking of our next idea. So yeah.
0: So um, you both play public figures as women leading communities, and you have to set an example as a public figure. But how do you still manage that um, with you know you're still a human being? Is mm-hmm. that a lot of pressure, especially from the side of you know your women from the Muslim community and they have, I guess, in quote standards that mm. you have to live up to. Mm. Do you feel a lot of pressure having to be that figure for women who are looking up to you?
2: I, I personally don't because I think I see it as I feel like, especially as Muslim women building this business and getting the recognition that we do and things like that, mm. I feel like I almost... it's a responsibility to Mm. sort of pull that back and to show people this is the journey and this is how we're doing it and this is why we do like podcasts and stuff and like even on my Instagram like I'm very open about this is what it looks like running business because I know what it feels like to feel like I don't see myself Mm -hmm. and I don't see anyone like me doing it and maybe I'm not cut out and my confidence and all of those things all those reasons why you can't and I would hate to think that someone would look at our journey and just think oh they're just different and they were able to do it because of x y and z Mm -hmm. and so part of me I feel like I it's about creating accessibility to feeling like actually you could do it too because these this is what it looks like and this is the reality of it.
1: Yeah, I think it only becomes a pressure when you over curate and over control the kind of the cardboard cutout of yourself, and then you have to keep aligning to the person that you keep projecting. So I think it's really important. Like we, I'm constantly sharing like the mistakes that I'm making. I make sure that I come onto like platforms like Instagram unfiltered, um, because people kind of just need to see behind the scenes. You know, there are some days where it's just two of us in the office there's an the assumption that we're like this huge team and I think if you can be there really There is that yeah. There is, yeah
0: I get emails from people yeah. asking to apply to roles and I'm like, what yeah. role?
1: Yeah <laughs> I'm doing me. all of them <laughs> Yeah yeah. So I think it, what for me I don't feel pressure because I am myself online and offline Of mm-hmm. course there's parts that I don't want to share because they're private you know, intimate things like That's the like, distinction That's the yeah. distinction exactly and like Nafis said it's a responsibility when you come online you know that someone's going to be influenced by it like mm. we all are with social yeah. media you see someone eating a salad you're like right, I must eat a salad for lunch today and I think when you understand your responsibility you want to make sure that you're putting out positive messages things that are going to uplift people but also things that people can resonate with and have that effect of oh okay they're having bad days we have bad days too Mm -hmm. and going back to the point like I think sometimes when people meet us they, they want to know what the spark is like what is this exceptional quality And then you just realise we are just two, obviously I think I'm amazing, but we are just these two women who are trying to be consistent, trying our best and making sure that we fulfil our purpose on a personal and kind of social level. Um, Yeah, and it's just, it's really simple. You just have to kind of just be yourself on these platforms.
0: Okay, so this is the segment in the show where we ask a member of the community to Mm -hmm. send in a question.
1: Hi there. I'm Charlotte Jay.
0: I'm the founder of the Entrepreneurs Club. I've been getting quite a few um, public speaking appointments um to moderate panels and give keynotes speeches, etc. But I'm just wondering, whether it's smart for me to do this so early on in my business as it takes a lot of my time or should I be focusing on building my business with the like direct sales and marketing? So I'm a little bit torn um, because I know that the public speaking puts my business in people's faces, but it also can take me away from the day to day. So I just
1: had the question of, when do you think it's the best time to start accepting these opportunities? I've got one sentence for that. Just make sure you're, you're not more clout than substance. And I think it's really easy to get carried away with the the tool. You should do them for profile building. I think it's important. Make sure where there's a budget, where there's a big brand, you ask for it. So you're not out of pocket either. Um, you're running a business. Your time is a very big asset and a resource. So, yeah, it's really easy to get lots of clout
2: and your business is And we see that. We nothing. see people who are like doing all the talks but when you're like okay so what does your business actually do you know what does that actually do there's not much behind that yeah um for me I think for us we felt like we had to be public facing because there was a lot of mistrust and so we felt like people needed to know who was behind this platform they needed to know it was two Muslim Mm. women they needed to know what we were about so that was the first one and then in terms of like public talks and things like that um I don't really think there's like a black and white answer for it. Mm. I think for me, the first couple of ones, it was like, okay we'll get our story out there right um and then now it's more okay what does it actually do for us right is it good for our portfolio is it do we want to do more of those things is it a paying it forward like we do a lot of community talks and things like that um is it about money like what there needs to be some upside is it like a, a reach thing but at the same time it's i think it's about really understanding why you're doing them mm-hmm. um, cuz it can be the thing is there's there's so many events there's so many things that are happening and the reality is like it's almost like don't believe the hype about them ultimately mm. these people that are doing these events need to find speakers right I'm not saying you're not special because you've yeah. not nice, <laughs> but at the same time like they need to fill spots you know mm. so you really need to think about what is this doing for me mm. um and yeah in terms of right time I, I think it just it really depends on where you are as a business for us we we had to be public facing to sort of build that trust
0: yeah I'm so sad I have to That's bring this to an end. But the last question is, um, what has been your happiest or most proudest moment oh, with Amalia? I'm sure you've had loads, but if you could God,
1: just that is so hard. share one. You know, amongst all the clout, the, you know, people celebrate the awards, they see the press, like we've got some phenomenal press over the years. Um, they see the shiny trophies on the mantelpiece, <laughs> but I think for me the most... That the moments where I've been most happiest is when I've had a Muslim woman DM me and message me, or come up to me in an event and say, you know what, you fundamentally changed an aspect of my life and thus mm-hmm. my existence. And I had we had one woman who um her husband was Muslim and she was kind of l- looking at practicing, kind of starting to get religious, and she said, you know, reading the articles on Amalia actually brought me to religion and she's yeah in a better place and a happier place and we have a lot of stories like that where people say when I'm in a low place I come to Amalia we have a specific section it's called soul and they read those articles and they're kind of uplifted and for me that's you know any any day of the week if someone sends me a message like
2: that that reminds me of why we exist definitely what Selena said like beyond numbers beyond stats beyond recognition when your own community comes out and backs you and just says you know we get dms we get voice notes we get people saying such incredible things to the point it brings us to tears like just such a beautiful community and i think to go off that sense of community i think it was when we did street eats we take over we took over um hospital's market and i was just on the balcony looking down seeing this space like filled with people of colour, you know? Mm. And that was just amazing. And like we would we always said like again like the same way Amali was more than fashion streets is about more than food. Like mm. it was the fact that people were like come they were saying it felt like Eid, it was the best <laughs> thing ever. And they were just able to come into this space that wasn't always isn't normally inclusive of them, let their guards down, you saw families, you saw kids, you saw couples, you saw people from all sorts of walks of life that just come together around food and I think food is amazing to like bring people together and I think it was one of those moments where I looked down and I was like I couldn't it wasn't even a proudness I guess it was like one of those moments where I was like I cannot believe our efforts have led to this and I think more than anything it was just like oh my god god is so great sort of thing so yeah that was one of the moments for me that sticks in my head.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing just that little part of your journey. And um, I'm wishing you guys the best in the future. Thank,
1: Thank you for having, us. Thank you for having we, Yeah, us. we don't really do podcasts together. Thank yeah, you so much for taking really the no time.
0: Problem. Well, that's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. For more inspiring stories, visit our website, forworkingladies.com. Sign up to our newsletter and keep an eye out for our next event. Before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review as it helps in finding our podcast more easily. Thanks for listening.